Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Exactly how close was Austin Reeves to leaving the Lakers? Plus, a scouting report on Torian Prince. All of that next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast, it's always going to be free. It's never going to be behind a paywall and locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to hang out with upwards of 20,000 uh, subscribers. I was going to say gigantic Lakers fans. They probably are NBA fans. They're probably that too. Uh, but they are first and foremost subscribers to the Locked on Lakers YouTube channel, and they are uh, hanging out, talking to each other, talking to us, leaving comments, leaving questions, and we really appreciate it. Uh, I want to let everybody know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On uh, to get started. So, Andy, um, we'll get to the Torian Prince scouting report with Ben Beacon of Locked On Wolves here in a moment. But first, uh, Austin Reeves went on the uh, All the Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes and was talking uh, free agency. And Steven Jackson. And Steven Jackson, right. Uh, and uh, was talking free agency and uh, the, the, the places where he thought he might go, even though he wanted to come back to the Lakers. Um, and that included the the um the the spurs and the rockets um he said quote i really want to be in la the whole time there were a couple situations where i was close but said i really wanted to be in la la feels like home to me uh so that's really where i wanted to be and again houston before fred is what he says before they signed van fleet and then san antonio um it's an interesting way of putting it uh place i wanted to be in la and these are the other teams that that had interest in me because to me at least none of this indicates that he was actually in any threat to leave LA. It was just about making more money while he was here. Yeah. I mean, we, unless Houston or San Antonio put out an offer sheet that wasn't worth his time to sign, like he just felt like insulted that they wouldn't try to prime away more. You know what I'm saying? Like There's, this, there, I, I cannot, but like, is that a, is that a thing? Like, I know you're just coming I, up with scenarios, but is that I, a thing? I, no, I don't think it's a thing. I'm, I'm, I am <laughs> in some respects talking out of my hind parts. I'm just saying that unless there was an offer sheet that he was privy to, that he felt insulted that essentially they didn't even put in more effort to lure him away. Um, it doesn't sound like there was ever an offer sheet put out there, but rather just some discussions going on between either San Antonio or Houston or both and his representation, like just, hey, these are some of the directions we could be heading in. Austin is somebody that we are thinking about. We will let you know what's going on. Ultimately, though, it appears that there was nothing solid. In a lot of ways, it feels like Austin is talking about some of the teams that he heard were interested in him. In reality, I think there were a lot more teams that would have had interest in Austin Reeves. It's just they wouldn't have had even the cap space to attempt to put out a big enough offer to try to lure him away. Like, unless you were willing to go to a place that was so astronomically large, basically essentially maxing him out, um, it's kind of what's the point? Because the Lakers did a really good job 
of making it really clear that they were going to match any deal for Reeves. Um, and I guess nobody was willing to try to test that. I guess, you know, the $40 million um, that, you know, per whatever it was that Houston threw at Fred Van Vliet, they could have done it with Austin Rivers or Austin Rivers, Austin Reeves. And I don't do it with Austin Rivers. It's an overpay. Um, but you could do it with Reeves and find out what the Lakers were thinking. But if you'd rather have Van Vliet, short of something like that, you know, a $52 million offer, $55 million offer, which I'm sure Austin Reeves would have loved somebody to make. And it's an offer sheet he'd have signed in an instant. Never came because it's like, why bother? The Lakers, it's that's too low when the Lakers are going to sign that. $60 million, $65 million. Lakers are going to match that. Um, what, I do, what I do think, though, is really significant about this because the reality is he was not – there was not any real threat of Austin leaving in a practical way. But what I do think is significant is between Austin knowing that the Spurs and Houston were, I think, fairly interested in him, certainly in a more perfect world mm -hmm. than being involved with Team USA, just seeing his reputation grow in general. There's a great part of this podcast. It's, it's really awesome. Uh, Matt Barnes heard from Kobe's sister that Kobe's nephew is a massive Austin Reeves fan. It's his favorite, his favorite player. player. And he, Kobe's sister reached out to Matt Barnes, like, do, do you know Austin? And Matt's like, actually, I don't know him. And he's like, you know, my, it's like, this is my nephew's favorite, favorite player. Is there any way you could possibly get a hold of him? And Matt said when he got hold of Reeves, it was during the playoffs. And, you know, that's why right, I feel like a birthday him. message is what it is. Yeah. Was, you know, for like a said. birthday message. And, right. and, you know, Matt felt like, almost sheepish about it. Like, look, man, I know there's a really intense time. You're focused. And Reeves is like, no problem. And he sent this message and they, they played it in the video part of the, all the smoke podcast. And Kobe's nephew, like was emotionally just so overwhelmed hearing from Austin Reeves. And it's another sign of his stature, just growing, mm -hmm. you know, like I would imagine Kobe's nephew given who his uncle was, probably pretty picky about who he chooses as his basketball heroes. The kid, Andy, the kid couldn't press play on the video. He was yeah. so kind of overwhelmed yeah. by the fact that it was sent to him. So I, I think if it, these are all signs of Austin in a good way, recognizing that he's becoming a guy in the league who matters. And that's great. Yeah. I, look, I mean, I, I think what probably happened is these teams were like, look, go ahead and sign your deal. We're not going to make the offer. It's not going to, you know, there's no point in waiting. Um, once you know an, an offer is not coming, um, it, there's a part of not anything like on earth, like 17, none of the earths that even I might be even somewhat in contact with that would be interested to see what it would look like with Austin Reeves in a situation where he would become one of the players that helps herd the cats, um, you know, particularly in Houston, where you have all that young talent. That you know, this is kind of what they brought Van Vliet to do, and you know Jeff Green and you know Dylan uh, Dylan Brooks and guys like that. I know you say, <laughs> but you want to. Yeah. I'm not wrong. But like these are guys who were brought in for specific reasons to help provide stability and consistency and leadership. Um, you know, at the very least, Dylan Brooks will show these guys how to work hard on defense. Oh um, no, he look. does that. Yes, he does. Um, it is though, by the way, the ultimate. Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks as the two veteran voices in your locker room, the two leaders, that is the ultimate 
good angel on one shoulder, devil on the other shoulder setup. Like that's yeah. you're you're hoping and you're hoping that Ime Odoka can kind of corral uh Brooks's worst instincts offensively. Um but it, you know, in San Antonio, which is obviously a much better program, much better run program to this point, um, with Pop and Wembignana and and some you know Keldon Johnson, some good young. Would have been interesting to see yeah. what Reeves looks like in those things where he's now the guy who elevates players. Because I, I I I think he would have been very good at it. Um, and I think if you're, it made sense to me that those two teams would be teams that would express express interest not because they just had the space but also because if you think you're in position you have enough good young players or draft capital or whatever um and and these teams really have both um to get good pretty quickly um you could really make an argument that reeves is a guy who can accelerate that because he will max help maximize all the young players who don't yet know better um but that said I am really, really excited uh, that I don't get to find out the answer to that. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want it to. Um, so um, we have been doing a lot of scouting reports of all the new Lakers. So we did Gabe Vincent. We've done Jackson Hayes. And also got Cam Reddish coming up. But on this show today, Ben Beacon next is going to join us to break down Torian Prince, who Andy and I think will be a massive, massive signing for the Lakers this year. We'll get to it next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel and take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to 200 bucks. Just bet 20 bucks and you will land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And you can bet on everything from the money line to the over under to whoever you think will hit the first home run in a game. And if you're looking ahead FanDuel has odds on the MVP, the Cy Young, World Series winner. And for Laker fans who also love the blue, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, and the Dodgers are respectively among the leaders in those categories. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, really easy to use. And when you win, you get paid instantly. So there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel dot com slash locked on FanDuel, the official partner of MLB. All right, um, Andy and I both have, uh, while the 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 big media, Andy, you could say, uh, has been focused more on the Gabe Vincent signing. It is the one that cost the Lakers the most money, uh, at the very least. Um, both of us think that the most consequential signing, or at least I do was um, potentially Torian Prince. Uh, I think that just because of the way he changes the the rotation and compared to last year and some of the skill sets that he brings. But uh, how good of a player is he? Uh, he has bounced around a little bit. What did he do in Minnesota last year to talk about that and let us know where Torian Prince is, who Torian Prince is? Ben Beacon, host of Locked on Wolves. Thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You know, two years in Minnesota, what did you see kind of broadly from from Torian Prince? Yeah, I mean, shooting is the biggest thing, and, and you hit the nail on the head. He was about, yeah, 38% the last couple of years. He's, he was about 41% catch-and-shoot threes last year um, and w- was pretty similar to that the year before in Minnesota. So that that's the biggest thing. I think um, he is a bigger wing. I mean, he really played more 
really played more at the four than he did at the three for the Wolves, which is interesting because a lot of, you know, rightfully so, people think of the Wolves as a really big team, but especially with no Carl Anthony Towns, Prince played a, a lot of four last year next to Rudy Gobert, next to Nas Reed and some smaller lineups. Um, so he is kind of more of a, a, a four that can play the three at this stage of his career uh, than a three that plays the four. Uh, but but shooting's the biggest thing, and then of course some of the intangible stuff was also really big, and that's that's one of the areas that uh, it sounds kind of silly to, and 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 I'm not saying that because he's not a good player, he is, but like the Wolves a couple years ago, you guys are familiar with Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly. The Wolves lost those guys; they lost a bit of an edge. Torian Prince plays with an edge; he's a solid locker room guy. He's uh, you know he's been there; he's been on, a, on several playoff teams. So some of those kind of intangible things too are are pretty key. Um, and what he would bring, he's kind of an adult in the room type of a, a of a guy, and that that was a big thing for last year's Wolves team. Yeah, I was looking up some of his numbers, Ben, and from an offensive standpoint, his time with the Wolves was some of his most efficient. If yeah. 46 percent from the field, best with any team he's ever been on, fifty six percent from two, which is the best of any clip with any team by almost ten percent. What do you see from him as a scorer? And he's got a rep, I think, primarily as a floor stretcher, but Mm-hmm. What can he do beyond that? Yeah, the Wolves did ask him to run a, to initiate a bit of offense the last couple of years. I think he was more successful two years ago than he was last year. Um, the Wolves didn't really have a solid backup point guard either season. I mean, Jordan McLaughlin was good in stretches and was out for a long period of time last year with the calf injury. So it was kind of a like they rotated through this different these these this cast of characters of like, okay, well tonight you're effectively going to run the second unit. And Prince was one of those. I thought he struggled a bit with that last year. Some of his the better two-point shooting came more in transition. He's he's a really savvy player. Like he's he knows when to attack the basket in transition, when to fade out to the three-point line, when to run to the corner. He's a good corner three-point shooter. Um so he can initiate offense. I thought he was a little miscast in that role at times. Um, obviously, the two-point percentage is great. His assist rate was was uh, down a little bit in Minnesota from where it was in some other places, in part because he wasn't a full-time starter like he had been um, previously with Brooklyn and Atlanta, uh, I think. But um, you know, he certainly can do some of those things. Last year, he did have a turnover rate that was his highest since early in his career because I think I think a little too often he was being asked to initiate but he certainly can like he can put the ball on the floor a little bit uh, but I think he's more effective in transition doing that than he is in the half court do you think he's better served as a starter than coming off the bench because that 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 fifth starter beyond LeBron AD Reeves and D'Angelo Russell I think is a little bit in flux there's some expectation that Rui Hachimura would get the nod but I think you can make an argument at least that Rui, his scoring might be better as a punch off the bench. He can still get 30-ish minutes. Like, is Prince, yeah. do you think, better off as one of the first five? I think quite possibly, yeah. And, and with the guys you just mentioned, he's probably the fifth option, right? So, like, if he's starting at, call it the three, um, he doesn't need a bunch of shots, right? Like, his usage rate has always cut. He's usually, like, well, like I said, like, if he's coming off the bench, he could be your primary or secondary scorer off the bench, initiate a little offense, catch and shoot threes, transition. But as a starter, he can be low maintenance. I mean, he's a pro at this stage in his career. Like, he's comfortable filling that role. And he he fits nicely as a complimentary player. And and um, I, so I think that role would make sense. And then you could maybe he's the first sub out. He plays the first five, six minutes, first sub out. And then he comes back with the second unit and can help initiate a little bit. I could see that as a type of role that he's really comfortable in um, Minnesota. Like, uh, I, I mean, we maybe get into his defense, but like I think at times they asked him to do a little bit more just because of the injuries that they had last year. 
Um, and but but I think he could play a really solid complementary role. Um, so earlier in the week, we we had a, a long debate, kind of just talking about what Jared Vanderbilt's role is going to be on the team and um, kind of where he fits. Now the Lakers have Hachimura, they've got Torian Prince, they've got you know much more wing depth than they did um, going into last season. Um, and you know, Vandy, Vanderbilt is bigger, taller, I should say, mm-hmm. than than Prince, but not necessarily a whole lot bigger. And so, Ben, when you when you describe Prince's as playing a lot of four with the uh, with the Wolves, I actually think that's kind of intriguing. You've seen them both, obviously, mm-hmm. extensively. What's the difference? Like, what does Prince do well that Vanderbilt doesn't? I guess beyond shooting, which we all can kind right. of see. And what does Vanderbilt do really well that Prince doesn't? Because I'm, you know, in, in trying to sort out how that playing time, especially defensively, yeah, yeah. Well, I would, I would start with rebounding for sure. Vando, as you guys know, is a really good pound for pound. I think one of the better because he's not a huge guy. Like he's obviously long and athletic, but he's not super tall, as you said. Mm-hmm. Like he's a really, really good rebounder. Torian Prince is is a poor rebounder, frankly. Last year he was, uh, like I think the only guys I. I talked about this on a show a couple weeks ago i think the i think the only players he actually had a better rebound rate than were the point guards were d'angelo russell jordan mclaughlin and uh mike conley um he's not a great rebounder and that was the wolves were like the third worst rebounding team each of the last two years in the league and with torian prince playing 15-ish minutes a game at the four that's part of the reason why so rebounding would be number one defensively yes vando's a little bit bigger um but i actually think he's Honestly, I think he's pound for pound a better defender too. Um, even on the perimeter, I would say it's close. Like I know that Prince has this reputation. You mentioned as a catch as as a kind of catch and shoot perimeter guy, maybe even a little bit as a three and D. I think his defense has has regressed. I think he's already. I don't know if it's because he's getting a step slower. I mean, he's only twenty nine, but um, I thought it was kind of noticeable last year. And this is where the Wolves overextended him a bit. They basically, they had Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, and then it was like, well, we have Torian Prince and, and Austin Rivers. They both have reputations as solid perimeter defenders. So there are next, next men up. Um, and I think sometimes he was asked to do a bit too much defensively. Torian Prince was a very good team defender, which I guess we could also say about Jared Vanderbilt. So there are a lot of similarities there. Vando's maybe just more of a pure four, uh, and you really want him to, to play the four, maybe guard some small ball fives, whereas Prince can, in theory, switch onto some guards. Although I, I think the um, the numbers kind of bear out as well that that he struggled a little bit in some one on one situations last year. But in general, though, they're they're similar in that they're good team defenders. They're complementary offensive players. They can both kind of play that three four role where they're guarding multiple positions. The lack of rebounding is it um, getting muscled out? Is it a lack of attentiveness? I mean, just some guys are better at it than others. Yeah, I think it's. Last year, well, it's it's tricky because if you look at it, like his worst, the worst two rebounding years of his career, I guess two of his worst three in his eight year career were with Minnesota. So part of it, I think, was the team as a whole was just bad at it. They were so in in, in switching defensive. He, just to clarify, he's never had a rebound rate, a total rebound rate over ten. Only once has been yeah, over one 10%. time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah Vanderbilt, by comparison, um, has never been under ten percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's more. Part of it is his role. Even when he's playing the four, he was often guarding primary scorers on the perimeter, right? So like they would, they, he'd be playing the four, but they would actually be putting, you know, whoever they were trying to hide guarding the lower usage player on the other team. And so Prince would actually be pulled away from the basket. So that's certainly part of it. Um, 
I just he just doesn't seem to have a knack for it more than anything else. And I never got the sense he wasn't playing hard because for some guys that that is what that is. Um, but Prince always played hard. He was always, you know, in the thick of things, like I said, kind of plays with an edge. He's the type of guy you want on your team for all those reasons. Um, but it was really more just like it just never you never felt like he was going to get a rebound uh, with your 50 50 ball. And, and I don't think it was necessarily a lack of trying. It was just one of those things. Vanderbilt has that knack, right? Like he's getting 50 50 balls. He's he's it's a you know, skill. Rebounding is a skill like anything yep. else. Yep. Yep. And and I just it just is not something Prince has been great at. And I think, um, you know, if he plays at the three, it's less of a big deal. But then he's mm-hmm. also perhaps a little more exposed defensively, too, depending on you know what you're doing defensively. Uh, last question for you, Ben. Um, I mentioned it, you know, at the top of the segment, I, I am thinking this, you know, he has the potential to be the most impactful signing the Lakers make, um, on, you know, put a percentage on the odds that I and the locked on Lakers audience am going to enjoy the Torian Prince experience for the 2023, 2024 season. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say 90%. I think yes, I'll take that. That's those are good odds. Nice. Timberwolves fans, fans love Torian Prince, and, and by all counts, teammates, coaches loved him. He's a great locker room guy. He was kind of part of the you know calming things down with the the Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert tiff at the end of the season, separating those guys. Like he's a pros pro. Everybody loves him. He plays hard, um, and he's he understands how to play a role. Um, and as long as he's not asked to do things that aren't in his wheelhouse, he can be a really effective player. And to get him at two and a half million or whatever the Lakers signed him for. That's a, I mean, he was going to, he made 9 million last year. It was just last summer. The Wolves signed him to that two year deal and it was like 9 million and then a team option for another nine. And I thought for a while it was pretty likely they were going to pick up that option because they just needed somebody to play that role. But I guess they decided, Hey, we can split that money up, get two players instead of one. Um, But to get Prince at that, at that dollar amount is, is a really good. Sweet. I like 90%. That's excellent. That's going to make me very happy. Um, All right, Ben Beacon, he is the host of Locked on Wolves. Make sure you check out uh, everything he's doing up in, uh, in Minnesota, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Ninety percent. Ninety percent chance that we are going to enjoy the Torian Prince experience. That is the inverse of the odds, we were all going to enjoy the Russell Westbrook experience. <laughs> so <laughs> heading into last year. So really heading into two years ago, uh, the odds were were fairly low, even if you wanted to be optimistic. I There was nothing in there. I the, the, the comparison between Vanderbilt and Prince, to me, I thought was really interesting because those guys, I think, are going to be kind of wedged against each other a little bit, not in a mean way, not like they're going to hate each other, but like someone they've played together. They're former teammates. Who's to say they got along, but you know, they, someone's going to get squeezed with minutes in there, particularly if the Lakers are comfortable playing Prince at the four as Minnesota was um, last year. That was another good little nugget of, of information from Ben, how much time he spent playing power forward last year. So, you know, Vanderbilt a little taller, but not necessarily bulkier, definitely the better rebounder. Um, I that balance and then you know how they you know move Vanderbilt or Prince to the three and who sits that where the minutes come from, I think is gonna be is gonna be fascinating to watch as they go through training camp and early in the season. Yeah, I mean it, Ben confirmed what you know I had thought when you and I were talking about the the differences between Vanderbilt and Prince, I, I I think Vanderbilt is the more versatile defender. Like you can put mm-hmm. him on a wider variety 
of players than you can put Prince, but Prince obviously has more offensive utility with the ball in his hands, if nothing else, than Jared Vanderbilt. You know, they that, that's also too part of the reason why I think you can make an argument for starting Prince as opposed to Rui Hachimura, in part because I think you can just make the argument that playing Rui 30 minutes off the bench actually will give you the most bang for the buck with Rui. Like you're actually going to give him more scoring opportunities coming off the bench, but you also then might be able to create a little more opportunity and optionality for Vanderbilt as well, like playing him with Rui um, and some of the floor combinations that, that come from, come from there. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me though, like probably the most surprising thing that I did not expect had, didn't have it on my radar at all with Torian Prince was the idea that he had been initiating sets a bit, like even as a secondary guy in Minnesota, and that there had been some playmaking responsibilities for him. I, I, you know, I've seen Torian play over the years. Yeah, that I, didn't, was not, I didn't. I did not know that. No, no, and I mean, look, even if he was in a bit over his head at times with being asked to do too much of that in Minnesota, knowing that he can do it. That's that's a nice little thing to have in your back yeah. pocket. That that I, it's as opposed to say like Troy Brown, who we've talked about before. As, yeah, don't, where you don't want him dribbling, basically. right? It's, yeah, you don't you don't want him doing that at all. And I don't think he's as much as I think you know Troy is capable of moving the ball with smart passes. He's not a playmaker. He's not a, a true facilitator. That Prince can do that even just in a pinch or as somebody that if you get forced into it. It's a possibility again. That, yeah, I mean, I I this, if they ever like intentionally say Tori and you got like we saw that there was a there were brief moments with Vanderbilt, like you know, where it's oh look at me, you know, the the playmaking, the put the ball on the floor and all that stuff, and it's like okay, the, the, there's a quickly a very de- uh, obvious diminishing return. I look at it more as it, it's less about you know, hey, can you you know create a set where he's care you know you know initiating the offense or whatever, more as it is. You're adding two guys on the floor who will continue to move the ball along. Who yeah. have a, a varied enough skill set that they can, you know, dribble a little bit, make the right pass a little bit. They're not going to freak out if they have to, you know, if if they see a, a little ball, ball pressure, whatever it might be. The more of those guys that you can stack up in a rotation, the better off you're going to be. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, I want to make it clear, D'Angelo Russell. Um, Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, LeBron, they need not worry about losing any of their playmaking minutes. I, I'm I'm not saying that somebody is coming and they should hear the footsteps. Right. I mean, just yeah, saying, you, you you use Anthony Davis as a pivot point before you use Torian Price. Right. I, I, again, I know what you mean. It just was a nice surprise because to be totally honest, I had no idea that that was something that was even semi-regularly looked for from Prince. Yeah, me neither. No clue. Um, because it's like these guys, you know, a guy like Torian Prince, it, it, it can be hard to project what they are year to year on a team. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about Vanderbilt. I'd totally recommend everybody go to silver screen and roll, read Alex regular story. Yeah. He's got on, on Vanderbilt gets into a lot of the kinds of things that we were talking about, just about how much context matters with role guys. And you can, you can try to figure out what it's going to look like and you can try to see, well, you know, anticipate these five guys have this skill set and, you know, 
in the regular season that could translate to these combinations, whatever. But then what happens in the playoffs? And you end up with these situations where, you know, based on what you saw in Washington, would you have automatically decided that Rui Hachimura would be a great fit next to LeBron James? Not necessarily. Um, would have. You would have never anticipated that Rui would be somebody that you'd feel good about defensively on the floor, not in a million and, years. And you know, and so it, it just the the context that Prince ends up being used in, I you know, it looks like there's a lot of positives to it in terms of I mean, we heard Ben talking about it, the types of players he'd be surrounded by and whatever. But you know, Darwin is going to have a a good challenge in trying now to take this roster, which has much more balance than what they had going into last year and figuring out how to divide it up because you can, you've got a lot of guys who are sort of legitimate two threes. Now you've got options as three fours. You have to protect LeBron. You have to protect Anthony Davis. Um, if you play Torian Prince, we heard, you know, Ben was saying a little more vulnerable to three defensively than he is at the four, but LeBron, if you play a center is a little more vulnerable to the three than he is the four. So how how they organize these things and optimize not just for the best floor combinations in every moment, but also the big picture stuff, getting through 82 games with you know a good enough record to get you where you need to go. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm really excited about this year because they actually have the personnel, uh, especially if guys like Christie hit the way that they look like they will. And if, say, either Reddish or Jackson Hayes hit because I feel like maybe maybe you disagree I feel like this year the Lakers have more high floor guys going into the year than they did last year you know Reeves is a you know very you know high floor but like Russell higher floor and you know Gabe Vincent we talked about it in the other show the other day a, a much higher floor player and uh, you know I feel like Torian Prince is a pretty high floor guy and Vanderbilt I mean, you almost know exactly what he is from the floor. Like he's a very predictable player in that regard. I just, it, I, I don't feel like there's as many ifs. You know, it's it's guys like Hayes, it's Reddish, it's is Max Christie ready, that kind of thing. That's a nice place to be. Yeah, I mean, the biggest if is you know, LeBron and AD their health, but that was going that's different to be, if that, that's well, there was, no matter what. I was just going to say the Lakers could have done the best job in the history of the NBA in an offseason. They could have done the worst job in the history of the NBA in an offseason. That would still be the biggest if regardless. So. Correct. Um, all right. So um, next week, we'll uh, you know kind of keep rolling through. we got some more scouting reports. Andy, I know you're arranging something uh, around uh, Cam Reddish. And we're going to have Dan Wakey from the LA Times on next week. So we're lining up lots of guests. Um, uh, keeping those shows rolling into August, into the dog days, Andy, but not here on the Locked on Lakers podcast. Uh, everyone have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.